politics, culture, chaos. It's time to make sense of it all. It's time to have a little fun. This is your afternoon dose of sanity. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. Here is the deal. I am back today. Fantastic. Good to be back with you. I had the flu. I was out last week. Now I'm feeling better. And I was out. I mean, I was tired. I'm talking tired like, you know, I'd do the show in the morning and I'd sleep it off. It was sleeping it off without the benefit of having tied it on. You know what I mean? At least tying it on is more fun. The sleeping off part. I was just wiped. I think it was the flu. Anyway, I don't know. It wasn't COVID, though. I had to take a test before I could uh, speak at the uh, Camden County Republican dinner, which was a lot of fun on Saturday night. Anyway, it's good to be back with you. I missed you in the podcast last week. Uh, there's a lot to discuss. It's a very busy afternoon. I found it fascinating that on Monday, the kids will have mask freedom in New Jersey. Many Pennsylvania kids mask freedom today. California, Oregon, and Washington will end their man mask mandates today. The State of the Union address is tomorrow. All of a sudden, masks just went away. You notice that? All of a sudden, where is a Santo Fauci? The nation's leading infectious disease, uh, what's his name? Yes, director, right. Nation's leading infectious disease director, Dr. Anthony Fauci, where is he? Where is he? Guy has disappeared. Witness protection program. Hmm. What happened to masks? What happened to science? Science hasn't changed. You know what's changed? Politics have changed. People have said enough is enough. They've said enough is enough. And now they're going to be mask free for the State of the Union address. Mask optional. You'll see some outliers in there. You'll see some, certainly a lot of Democrats virtue signaling. No doubt about that. But there's no doubt in my mind that we have been played. Now, who gets in trouble for this is the question. Who gets in trouble for having played us like this and for having taken so much power and control from our lives and getting it so wrong? Who gets in trouble is my question. As um, Veronique de Rouget from the Cato Institute put it, the government's coronavirus response was a complete failure. Who will be held accountable? From the CDC to the FDA, there are way too many missteps. Who's going to hold them accountable? For instance, who will be held accountable for government-orchestrated lockdown policies that were, in retrospect, poorly designed, ineffective, and incredibly costly? Who at the CDC will be held accountable for that agency's failure to detect the virus sooner? Which CDC officials will speak to the utter confusion the agency created by constantly changing messaging and political guidance? The FDA's failures. How about... The failure to approve COVID-19 testing, for example. How about the failure to approve treatments? How about the way they allowed people to disparage experimental treatments? While they turned around and decided to side with others. The explosion of government spending that extended long past 2020 with no plan for post-crisis fiscal consolidation. Or the Federal Reserve's failure to foresee the largest inflation in decades. Remember, Joe Biden... Never was held accountable for the disastrous exit from Afghanistan. Nobody ever gets in trouble. You know what I'm saying? Like like this Afghanistan fiasco, which I think is one of the reasons why Putin decided to invade Ukraine. Nobody gets in trouble for that. I mean, remember the drone strike that killed all those innocent people in Afghanistan? Nobody gets in trouble for that either. Nobody in government ever is held accountable for anything. In fact, what they do is they turn around, like with COVID, COVID's a great example of this, right? They turn around, they go, well, remember, we had your best interest at heart. We had your best interest. And so uh, please uh, forgive us if we got it wrong. We were just trying 
to save lives. So forgive us if we messed up. And then pe- people turn around and go, oh, okay, well, they have the best. In- as long as their intentions were good. Really? We don't hold anybody accountable because their intentions were good? What's the old saying? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Happens all the time, doesn't it? And yet too often when it comes to government, people will wind up losing their liberty, their freedom, their jobs, their businesses, their friends, their family. How many people didn't get to say goodbye to loved ones who who died? How many people did not get to see loved ones in the weeks before their death? How many people died in government facilities because of COVID policies that kept them in nursing homes? Who's held accountable for any of this stuff? Andrew Cuomo, remember, was not driven out of office because of nursing homes. Andrew Cuomo was not driven out of office because of nursing homes. Andrew Cuomo was driven out of office because of Me Too problems. Phil Murphy, the idiot governor of New Jersey, the king, King Philip the Unaccountable, he almost lost re-election. But there have been no consequences for the people that died in New Jersey's nursing homes and veterans' homes. None whatsoever. There have been no consequences for Pennsylvania's Governor Tom Wolf. In fact, Dr. Rachel Levine, who oversaw people going into those nursing homes and dying, she got a promotion. She's now in the federal United States Department of Health. The Government Accountability Office publishes a report about improper payments every couple years. The set of government programs making these payments always seems to involve the same offenders, but nothing happens, and the number of improper payments grows. Veronique de Rouget points out, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky was questioned by members of the House Energy and Commerce Subcommittee on Oversight and Investigations about the agency's guidance on continued mask wearing in school. Members on both sides of the aisle seemed uneasy with school mask mandates, and some noted that the studies used by the agency to justify the continued requirements had actually been debunked. They pointed to Europe, where they said, look at all these countries around the world that do not have mask mandates, and they're doing just fine. They pointed out that we were told kids had to wear masks, so they didn't come home and bring it to grandma and kill her, but now grandma's vaccinated, and the vaccines don't stop transmission anyway. So what are we doing here with kids? Did it make a difference? No. Walensky acknowledged that the limitations of the mask studies were real, but refused to change a thing. And so many kids as young as two continue to be masked at school. I mean, even in New Jersey right now, two-year-olds have to be masked till at least Monday. And then let's think about planes, too. Where's the science backing masking on planes? That science, is it any different than the science that says you, can't, you don't have to wear a mask in the State of the Union? You're sitting right next to somebody. Is it any different than a mask? The guidance that says you don't have to wear a mask if you're in a crowded movie theater, or in a, but but on an airplane, they're going to continue with the mask mandates. You know why? Politics, because the unions that represent the flight attendants and the pilots, probably less so pilots, more the flight attendants' unions, they want the mandates, and the unions. Well, the Democrats give the unions whatever they want. That's how that usually goes. The very same flight attendants that will throw you off the flight if you have a let's go Brandon mask on or will rat on a pilot who jokes around and says let's go Brandon. The same ones that say we want the mask mandates forever and ever and ever. And that's what happens. That's what happens. And so nothing changes. Now, Asanto Fauci, in one of his last appearances, said it's too risky right now to pull back the mask requirements. That was a two weeks ago or a week ago, what's changed between then and the State of the Union address tomorrow night? 
Nothing. 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 Nothing's changed. Politics has changed. That's the truth. And so keep that in mind, please. When you think about what the president of the United States was saying today when it comes to how racist Republicans are. Did you know that Republicans have made it harder for black Americans to vote? Did you know that? Now, there's no evidence of that. It's a total lie. Democrats are the party of segregation, the party of Jim Crow laws. It was Joe Biden used to hang around with his pals, the Seggies. Remember this? But the thing about it, Joe Biden now is it's a disaster. I mean, the stock market today, another awful day. Oil over $100 a barrel. I got that story, which I share with you about how utility bills are soaring in the Philadelphia region, and so is customer outrage. We have basically on the on the uh, precipice of World War III right now. So what does Biden do? Goes and plays the race card. Goes and plays the race card. It's what he does. He does it all the time. It's what these people have. It's all they know how to do. When things don't go their way, they go to the, to the playbook. And the playbook is divide, divide, divide. And they wind up doing that all the time. Biden did it you know, again. It's always made it harder for blacks to vote, but this is trying to be able to figure out how to keep the black vote when it occurs from even counting. Over the past year, we've directed federal agencies. Such a lie. You know, Biden's doing his uh, Black History Month celebration today. It's the last day of February. February's Black History Month is doing the celebration today, the last day of the month. That's something. Hey, no rush, Joe, right? I mean, no rush. Got plenty of time. Got plenty. Got a few. Got hours. Got hours to do it till it's over. Biden lies about stuff all the time. Ban black votes from even counting. Just think about that. Let's hear it one more time. We're going to keep pushing on this. And we're we're protecting our country's threshold liberty, the sacred right to vote, which I've never seen is under such attack. You know, it's always made it harder for blacks to vote, but this is trying to be able to figure out how to keep the black vote when it occurs from even counting. Over the past year, we've directed federal agencies to promote access to... When it occurs to keep it from even counting... I don't even understand that. Do you? But again, Biden had one of those moments again today. Pops had one of his moments. He forgot who was president again. Does this Not all the time. the last. <laughs> Ladies. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is Jill Biden making this mistake. Jill Biden. Well, you know what this is now. This is this is Jill. Jill knows what's coming. So this is this is what you call Dr. Freud. Paging Dr. Freud. Dr. Freud, please come to the main lobby. This is what we call a Freudian slip. Not the last. <laughs> Ladies. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the president of the, the vice president of the. <laughs> I just said that to make you laugh. <laughs> The Vice President of the United States, Kamala Harris. By the way, speaking of weird masking, Biden stood there for the Supreme Court announcement of his new nominee. They all come out wearing masks. He takes the mask off, introduces her. She gets up to speak. He doesn't put his mask back on. Biden's walking around the White House lawn today. He's back from Delaware now. He goes to Delaware all the time. He doesn't like to be in Washington. And he uh, he's wearing an N95 mask, walking alone on the White House grounds. Then he walks over to the press, takes the mask off. He's three feet from their faces and starts yelling at him on the on the, on, on the lawn of the White House. It's bizarre. Not that he took any questions today, but it is very bizarre. 
And he does this all the time, by the way. Biden does this all the time. He uh, made a Supreme Court. He announced the Supreme Court nominee today. He announced her on Friday, but today he, he announced her name. And, of course, he botched it. And, of course, we see another first in the nomination of Katenji. Well, you saw her. I guess you saw Justice Brown. Justice Brown Jackson, who uh, is uh, on, the, for, uh, on the Circuit Court of Appeals right now. Well, yeah, so you saw you saw her, right? I mean, don't you love too when he does he goes this thing? He goes, I mean, I'm not going to get into that right now, but uh, nah, I'm not going to. Ah, I'm going to. Ah. He just stops mid sentence. You know what I'm saying? He just stops. And then, you know, psh. so Biden tomorrow night is going to give the State of the Union address and he's going to pretend, we're all going to pretend, like he beat COVID. You, you see, all of this has happened. All of this with the ending of the mask mandates and ending of the requirements and everything has happened. So that Joe Biden can stand up. Everything is a disaster in this country right now. The stock market, the economy, the price of energy, the price of oil, the price of natural gas, uh, the state of the world. We're facing potential nuclear war. Uh, but Joe Biden's going to stand up there and say, we beat COVID. And he's not going to pretend like it's the Omicron variant that did it, which is what it did. I mean, the Omicron variant came around as a milder variant, drove out the bad Delta variant. And that's where we are. It happens. It's how viruses often behave. We got lucky. Very lucky. But instead, what Biden's going to do, he's going to pretend like it was his idiotic masking policies, the fact that he sent your family tests that you never got, masks that you never got. He's going to pretend like it was all him. And now he'll take a victory lap at the State of the Union address because it's all they have. I mean, it's a lie, but it's all they have. It's all they can go on is to say that we defeated COVID and now the mask can come off and everybody can go back and enjoy their lives. I mean, they're clutching at straws here. Nothing's changed science-wise, of course. What's changed, though, is they need a win. And this is the only thing they can even pretend to win. I mean, believe me, they have not won this. I, I'm not. I, I, what has happened with COVID has nothing to do with Joe Biden. The fact that you and I are living normal lives now is because you and I have demanded to live normal lives. And we should have been living normal lives a long, long time ago. The fact that rates are lower, the fact that this virus is less severe, has nothing to do with Joe Biden. Nothing. But Joe Biden's going to take credit for it because it's all they have to take credit for. They have nothing else. Remember that, because that is the reality of where we are right now. Tomorrow is going to be a spectacle of lies as Joe Biden stands up there and tries to act like he defeated COVID. He did not defeat COVID, and nobody should think he did. Let's cut through the BS. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. All right, let me jump into the White House press briefing here with Snarks and find out if there's anything useful that she's saying regarding the situation in Ukraine. Else just a year ago, or whether it is the speech he gave last week where he questioned uh, the sovereignty uh, of, uh, of the country of Ukraine at all, or the actions he's taking right now. Uh, those are not actions of a, uh, of a global leader uh, that, that, uh, that uh, should be treated with respect on the global stage. Given the behavior that you have seen, some of the things that you just noted, um, and the very severe consequences that he is now facing, these severe sanctions. Is there any concern that instead of retreating, that, that Putin will feel so squeezed and so pressured that he will lash out even more, intensify his attacks, uh, that any of this could 
backfire, essentially? Well, I think that it is our responsibility, the United States, President Biden, as a leader in the world, to rally the world in making clear how unacceptable uh, his behavior is and to put in place severe consequences. Now, what he is feeling on the ground, there are protests, there have been oligarchs in his own cozy circle who have been outspoken, um, and obviously the pinch is being felt significantly in the Russian economy. Oh, you know, that's that's a, that's spin. The, the pinch is not being felt. Vladimir Putin's doing just fine with China. China's taking great care of him. The alliance between Russia and China is, that's the way it is. To de-escalate, and certainly we would welcome that decision. Go ahead. Thanks, Jen. Does the White House believe it is possible to say whether Ukraine or Russia are winning this war right now? I don't think we're going to make an assessment of that from here, but what I will reiterate is something we have said in the past, is that uh, President Putin and uh, Russian military have made clear that they uh, have every intention of uh, taking over the capital city. Uh, well, it may, well, there has been a greater uh, pushback uh, in the country than they may have assessed to begin with, and I know my colleagues at the Department Sorry, of State... There's nothing, nothing useful here that we're getting. Uh, president Donald Trump, when he was president warned the world about how they were boosting up Vladimir Putin with the oil and natural gas deals. Remember this? And I've told you that everything that's happening right now is entirely because of the fact that the United States of America has stepped back from the world stage being the leading exporter of oil and natural gas. And Vladimir Putin has stepped up and Vladimir Putin is doing everything he possibly can to make lots and lots of money. All right. I want to play for you what President Trump said a few years ago when he was saying to NATO, NATO, you guys need to knock it off because what you are doing right now is you're weakening NATO, you're hurting member countries, and you are boosting Vladimir Putin in the process. I think uh, it's very sad when Germany makes a massive oil and gas deal with Russia where you're supposed to be guarding against Russia and Germany goes out and pays billions and billions of dollars a year to Russia. So we're protecting Germany, we're protecting France, we're protecting all of these countries. And then numerous of the countries go out and make a pipeline deal with Russia where they're paying billions of dollars into the coffers of Russia. So we're supposed to protect you against Russia, but they're paying billions of dollars to Russia. And I think that's very inappropriate. And the former chancellor of Germany is the head of the pipeline company that's supplying the gas. Uh, ultimately, Germany will have almost 70 percent of their country controlled by Russia with natural gas. So you tell me, is that appropriate? I mean, we've, I've been complaining about this from the time I got in. It should have never been allowed to have happened. But Germany is totally controlled by Russia because they were getting from 60 to 70 percent of their energy from Russia and a new pipeline. And you tell me if that's appropriate, because I think it's not. And I think it's a very bad thing for NATO. And I don't think it should have happened. And I think we have to talk to Germany about it. On top of that, Germany is just paying a little bit over one percent, whereas the United States in actual numbers is paying 4.2 percent of a much larger GDP. So I think that's inappropriate also. You know, we're protecting Germany, we're protecting France, we're protecting everybody, and yet we're paying a lot of money to protect. Now, this has been going on for decades. This has been brought up by other presidents, but other presidents never did anything about it because I don't think they understood it or they just didn't want to get involved. 
but I have to bring it up because I think it's very unfair to our country. It's very unfair to our taxpayer. And I think that these countries have to step it up, not over a 10-year period. They have to step it up immediately. Germany is a rich country. They talk about they're going to increase it a tiny bit by 2030. Well, they could increase it immediately tomorrow and have no problem. I don't think it's fair to the United States. So we're going to have to do something because we're not going to put up with it. We can't put up with it. And... Yeah. And you know what? Not only should NATO have paid more to the United States of America, what NATO should have done was stop buying Putin's oil, natural gas. But in many ways now, Biden has left them no choice because the United States has now put a ban on new drilling and new fracking because we're worried more about climate change than we are about Vladimir Putin. That's the reality. Let me, uh, if I can jump in here for a second, Jackie Heinrich asking about the nuclear threat. What would Putin have to do to get these sanctions lifted? Would he have to agree to a ceasefire? Would he have to pull all of his troops out of Ukraine? I'm not going to make a prediction or assessment of that from here. If he starts to take de-escalatory steps, I'm sure we can have that conversation. Um, how great is the concern, this is sort of building on Mary's question, how great is the concern that these sanctions are so punishing that essentially Putin will have nothing left to lose and no offering? They're not that well, punishing because the, the, the China. sanctions are punishing so that uh, they will inflict significant consequences and, uh, oh, please. and change uh, the Put outcome. Put the sanctions uh, the on his the energy uh, and exports. De-escalate at the end of the day. Put those sanctions they on. To do. They're not doing that. And, um, you were Somebody needs about, to ask uh, that. No fly zone over Ukraine, but I know officials have been discussing the possibility of imposing uh, a no fly zone for Russia over the U.S. Where do those talks stand right now, and what are the pros and cons to doing something like that? Well, uh, well, well. No option is off the table. Um, there, I don't have anything to preview for you in terms of a decision or anything along those lines. I would note that uh, there are a lot of flights uh, that go over uh, that that U.S. Uh, U.S. airlines uh, fly over Russia to go to Asia and other parts of the world, and we factor in a range of factors. And then finally, what's the U.S. doing to reduce the possibility of nuclear war? Well, I think, one, we are not escalating our own rhetoric. Two, we are certainly assessing uh, what uh, President Putin's uh, comments uh, mean. But as I noted a little bit earlier, we have not changed our own posture. What we are trying to do is uh, reduce the tension, take the, the tenor of the rhetoric down, uh, and make clear that we have seen this pattern in the past, which is uh, posing threats or suggesting through misinformation of sorts that there are threats posed to President Putin in Russia that don't exist. Thanks, Jen. Um, there are reports of illegal cluster bombs and vacuum bombs being used by the Russians. Uh, if that's true, what is the next step of this administration? And is there a red line for how much violence uh, will be tolerated against civilians in this manner that's illegal and potentially a war crime? It is. It would be. I don't have any confirmation of that. We have seen the reports. Uh, if if that were true, it would potentially be a war crime. Obviously, there are a range of international fora that would assess that. Um, so certainly, we would look to that to be a part of that conversation. And then the new aid that you just laid out at the beginning here. Yep. Um, the Post reported over the weekend that this aid will not include stingers. That it would likely come in a future batch of aid. What is the reason for that? 
Uh, I'm not going to get into specifics of what is in uh, the military package. Uh, it is uh, it is a combination of uh, ground and airborne defense capabilities, um, and obviously we have provided those in the past, but I'm not going to have more details to you, outline for you from here. You mentioned that this um, next batch is going to be coming in the next few days. Why so long? I mean, days doesn't sound like a long time to us. But the package that we had already announced continues to be delivered, so we have expedited uh, the plans for delivery of this new package. And then on um, the nuclear rhetoric we've been hearing from Putin, does this influence at all the upcoming nuclear policy review? Uh, in terms of how we, uh, our relationship with, uh, look, I, I would think it's a good question, Jackie, but I would say what's important for people to note, and this is why I noted it a little bit earlier, is that even at moments where we had huge tension with President Putin and Russia around the 2016 election, around invasion of Georgia, around uh, their prior invasion of Ukraine, uh, it was agreed that uh, escalatory rhetoric around nuclear ambitions uh, was dangerous. Um, and that was something we committed to with Russia. Russia not to pursue. So, um, you know, we, it, I think for right now, we're going to remind the global community of those commitments. And on that same note, does this administration trust Russia to be an honest broker um, in the <laughs> talks with Iran right now? Well, I think it's not about trust in any of these negotiations or discussions. It's about a very... Right, you know, you know here's a, a, a couple, of, uh, couple of, uh, of, of thoughts on this. Number one, uh, 33% of the American people approve of Biden's handling of the Ukraine situation right now. 33%. You, you realize what the White House, what Jen Psaki's doing right now, right? They're, they're trying to have it both ways. They want to they want to stay out of it, but at the same time, they want to act like they're doing something to help Ukraine. But they don't want to engage because they are worried about Putin because he's nuts and they're worried that he could start nuclear war. The guy's nuts. Apparently, he's basically off on his own, and there's a small cadre of advisors that go around him, and that's about it. And it's a very scary situation. It really is. I mean, nuclear war is no joke, even though I obviously make my gallows humor dark jokes about it all the time, but, you know, that's just how I tolerate things in life. But I'm just saying, you know, it, it to, to sit there and act like this administration's doing anything to help the people of Ukraine, they're not. I'm not saying that they should do more. I'm not. I'm just saying that they want to have it both ways. They want to act like they're in charge of the world stage right now as they actively do nothing and hope that a couple of stinger missiles will be the be all end all. Now, again, I'm not I'm not hoping for war, war here. So don't take me my me out of context in any way, shape or form. I just think that the American people can see through this. They don't think we're engaged. This is what the White House wants people to think that they are. Here's uh, John Carl from ABC News over the weekend on the uh, This Week with the unbiased journalist George Stephanopoulos on just how devastating Biden's poll numbers are across the, uh, the complete gambit of everything. Think about this now. He's giving the State of the Union address as Putin wages war. We, the greatest threat of nuclear war since what? When the 1980s? The mid-1980s? Which I honestly, I mean, the early part of the 1980s would be the last time I think people were really freaking out about nuclear war. That's when that movie The Day After came out. And then Ronald Reagan did his thing with Mikhail Gorbachev and even the guy before him, and that, you know, changed the world forever. The 60s, a lot of anxiety. I mean, I the stories of people hiding under their desks. Since that time, has America ever felt this anxiety over the potential for nuclear war? No! This is Joe Biden's 
America right now. We're actually worried about nuclear war. Think think about this now as he heads into the State of the Union address. I mean, you want to talk about a failure. You want to talk about the failure all across the board. Here's uh, Jonathan Carl. John, it's always tricky for presidents in challenging times to get that balance right between optimism and recognizing the reality that most Americans are facing. And let's face it, George, uh, State of the Union Address is the biggest audience that, that he, will, he will face. But State of the Union Addresses rarely move the needle much. And Joe Biden needs to change the trajectory here. His approval ratings uh, are at the lowest point of his presidency. Truly grim. Uh, if you look at his approval rating, it is virtually indistinguishable from where Donald Trump was at the various low points of his presidency. And more concerning uh, for Joe Biden and for Democrats generally is if you look at our latest poll out today, uh, the, the percentage of, of a voters saying that they will vote for Republicans in the midterm elections is at the highest level that we have seen since 2010. And you know what happened in 2010. 2010 uh, is when uh, Republicans won 63 seats and swept in control uh, of the House in the Tea Party wave. So Biden needs to change the trajectory. He needs to acknowledge the challenges and present some kind of a, of a, of a vision uh, that shows that he has a, a plausible plan for dealing with the challenges facing the nobody country. wants to hear his plan nobody believes his plan you know what people are dealing with right now they're dealing with as that article again which i referenced earlier utility bills are soaring in the philadelphia region and so is customer outrage pico gas bills are up 38 percent from last year pgws are up 17 percent. i've never paid this much for heat in the winter you know what else they're dealing with too every parent thinks that it's way too way past time to get their kids out of masks and they're not going to forget just because now you've got Kathy Hochul in New York and these idiot governors turning around and saying you can get your kids out of masks in schools, parents are not going to forget because they know nothing's changed. They know nothing's changed. They don't believe that the numbers are lower. They believe that these frauds have had too much backlash, and that's why they're doing it. They're making this decision not in science, but in political science. They're making this decision out of self-preservation. You know what else voters are worried about? Really upset about crime. Another subway attack in New York City. Another subway attack in New York City. This is happening all across the country. Here's a, a voter, what he says Tonight, about this. Tonight, officers blanket another platform. This time, the Canal Street Station after another unprovoked attack on the subway. That's, that's just terrible. This is not the city I know. Detectives say a 31-year-old was stabbed in the arm and back on the 6th train. The suspect took off, leaving riders on alert. I don't feel safe at all. Now, nobody does. Nobody does. Here's a bakery in Seattle. Democrat-run lefty Seattle closing its doors right now because of so much crime. Now, a popular bakery in downtown Seattle is closing its doors, at least for the foreseeable future. The owner of Poroski Poroski says she worries for her staff and customers' safety. A shooting happened in broad daylight yesterday, just feet from her store. Police say a man in his 40s was killed, and the shooter remains on the loose this morning. The owner says that this is the third shooting in the area just this month. She also says she's had enough of the constant and crime and drug use in the area. We spoke to her last summer when she pleaded for officials to help. We're getting a lot of messages that people don't want to be here. People scared to be here. They want to walk through downtown as fast as they can. The owner is still deciding whether this closure will be temporary or permanent. Yeah, there you go. Um, what a damn shame, right? What a damn shame that's happening right now in terms of the crime in this country. So much crime. 
So that's where things are for Joe Biden as he heads into the State of the Union address. I think people want the guy gone. I think people want him out as soon as possible. I think Democrats want him gone before midterms. I really do. I think they want him gone before midterms. The best thing that could happen to Democrats right now would be a new president, even though they hate Kamala Harris. They want to get, see, that's the other thing too. They want to get her in early so she can become unpopular too, so they can get her out by 2024. Now that's the reality. They don't want this guy in there. Not at all. Now, let me share with you, I always tell you to, you know, a lot of this right now in, in, in our lives has to do with the fact that we're raising a generation of snowflakes. Like, can you imagine a lot of American youth fighting back the way they are in Ukraine? This Red Dawn style of, of, of guerrilla warfare in the streets and fighting back to preserve their, their country. Could you imagine it? First of all, I, I think a lot of American youth, if another country invaded, would probably be like, hey, we're a bunch of racist, sexist, homophobe, transphobes anyway. Take it. Maybe you'll do better. I really do. And they'd also be worried about getting scratches. They wouldn't feel safe. That's the first thing they would say to the enemy, the enemy advance. They'd be like, excuse me, excuse me, I, you're not making me feel safe right now, okay? I don't feel safe. I mean, the, Ameri- the wusses today, could you imagine? Could you imagine the American wusses of today fighting back against Russia in the streets? Hell no. First of all, they'd be way too concerned with making sure that they were not using guns. That's number one. They would be, you know, because they would, that's number one. They wouldn't know how to use them. And then, of course, they would kind of be sympathetic a little bit too of, well, you know, we took over the world, so who are we to judge? You know, America with our imperialism, I mean, they're just doing it right back to us, right? I mean, they're being bred to hate this country to such a degree. And they would look at the invader and be like, all right, well, you know, listen, we did this to other countries too, so it's only fair now that it's our turn. So we'll lay down and surrender. Plus, they'd be so obedient they would be more worried about yelling at the soldiers for not having masks on than they would about the soldiers actually taking over their country. I mean, I watched that Maryland game. I'm watching Maryland basketball, and I'm looking at all these college kids wearing masks, and I'm thinking, you're supposed to be the freaking rebels. You're the healthiest kids in the world. Half of you don't even wear rubbers. What, you know, for your feet when it rains. What are you doing wearing masks at a freaking game? But they're they're now this is the new the new compliance. The, the most compliant people in this country now are college kids, American college kids. Oh, it's very different than when I was there. When I was there, uh, many college kids refused to wear uh, pants uh, at games, let alone masks. There was no way you're getting people to wear masks. But but nowadays it's whatever the rules are, they follow them. So you'd have college kids right now, and instead of the Wolverines getting the guns and the pickup trucks and going to the mountains to fight the Ruskies, what you'd have now is you'd have them going, um, sir, sir, could you please put a mask on as you're taking over my country? Could you please do it? And just promise me Trump won't ever be president again. All right? And um, understand that I'm very triggered uh, by your uniform, okay? I'm very triggered by this. All right, and then the guy, you know, the guy would be pointing the gun at them, and everything. that's what would happen. That's what. But please, six feet, six, stay six feet when you're pointing the gun away, please. And they pick up guns; they have no idea how to use them. Bunch of wusses. But this all happens in college. Here's this uh, professor uh, from UC Berkeley. Shocking, I know, right? UC Berkeley professor talking about abolishing um, whiteness. Okay, abolishing whiteness, which again. You know, for a lot of these woke college kids right now, that's literally their dream. It's their major. What are you majoring in? Oh, I'm majoring in abolishing whiteness. Oh, all right. Right? And so that's why I'm coming up with this recent understanding that to abolish whiteness is to abolish white people. And that's very uncomfortable, perhaps, but it asks about our definitions of what race is and what racial justice might mean. Okay? 
So again, Rodiger is asking the same question here about this genuine class unity is not going to happen because within it are these cleavages of racial struggles and gender struggles that prevent class unity from sort of happening and prevents white working class folks from achieving their goal. Well, wiping out racists, there you go. Now, speaking of unhinged lunatics on the left, Nicole Hannah-Jones, who's the author of The 1619 Project, she says the media's alarm in covering Ukraine is racist dog whistle, all right? She's the creator of The 1619 Project, which is all BS, the idea that America was founded in slavery. She said Sunday that the media's coverage of the Russian invasion of Ukraine illustrates racism in the press and people should stop pretending to have objectivity. Now, I don't know what is racist about the coverage of Ukraine, uh, other than I'm imagining now from the perspective of a lefty, it's that there are people, I'm going to go and guess, there are people in our streets who are treated worse by our police than they're treated by the Russians, the Russians, the Ukrainians are, the Ukrainians are by the Russians, and I'm guessing that's where she's going with this. That we have, we have an invasion going on in every city in America right now by the racist police or something. It's probably where she's going. She says every journalist covering Ukraine should really, really look internally. This is why I say we should stop pretending we have objectivity and instead acknowledge our biases so that we can report against them. Many of us see the radicalized analysis, racialized analysis, and language. And honestly, these admissions of shock that this is happening in a European country are ahistorical and also serve to justify the lack of sympathy for other invasions, other occupations, and other refugee crises involving people not considered white. You see? Not considered white. What if I told you, she says, Europe is not a continent by definition, but a geopolitical fiction to separate it from Asia? And so the alarm about a European or civilized or first world nation being invaded is a dog whistle to tell us we should care because they are like us. <laughs> to be clear, we should care about Ukraine, but not because it is European or the people appear white or they are civilized and not impoverished. All people deserve to be free and be welcome when their countries are at war. Uh-huh. Got it? <laughs> They seem like us, and that's what's so shocking. War is no longer something visited upon impoverished and remote populations that can happen to anyone. That's what set her off. That's what set her off. The point was that these are countries that are not, well, <laughs> you know, like Iraq or Afghanistan, places where they are used to this kind of turbulence. She took it as a racist dog whistle. The more you know. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I appreciate it.